Hi, I'm Dr. Randy Ross, and this is Relationomics, business powered by relationships, where we talk about everything related to life, business, and relationships, and how they're all intertwined together. Today, uh, one of my favorite leaders of all times, Scott McClellan, is going to join us. Scott is the CEO of Morrison Community Living. He's also the CEO of Touchpoint Support Services, and Scott is one of those rare leaders who inspires fellowship, but he also inspires elevated performance among all of his teams. We're gonna find out why. So stick around. I wanna invite you to join us as we talk and as we grow together. Hey Scott, man, it's great to have you here. Good to be here, Randy. I yeah. think the, the last time we spent quality time together was in Chicago I for the it. Zone 4 meeting. That's right. Had a chance to catch up over dinner and talk about a lot of different things, but thanks for, for being here today because I just wanna spend some time unpacking a lot of leadership issues. And um, I gotta tell you from my heart, and I'm not saying this disingenuously, you are one of my favorite leaders that I have the opportunity to interact with. Uh, you know, Jim Collins talks about level five leaders and, and Cheryl Beshelder, who's a friend of ours, and hopefully she'll be on the show you know, at some point. But she talks about uh, just leaders who, who dare to serve. And you're one of those type of leaders that you put your people first, you have passion for what you do, but you have compassion for the people that you do it with. And uh, I just love hanging with you. Well, likewise, you're so kind. <laughs> uh, you've been a huge part of our culture building in our companies, so I'm grateful to have you in the family and grateful to be here today. Awesome, yeah. awesome, man. Well, let's dive right in. Good. So um, you had quite an illustrious career. Huh. Um, you've had some unusual jobs. Matter of fact, I think one of the most unusual jobs you ever told me about is you, you were actually a bodyguard. Ah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so tell Bouncer me about that. Bodyguard, <laughs> bodyguard so, for who? Um, well, so some of you may remember Tina Turner, Rick James, yeah. uh, Gloria Stefan. No way. Yeah. Exactly. For Gloria. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. Yeah, only I'm, occasionally, but. I bet you have some fun stories to tell. Yeah, I can't tell them on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I bet not. <laughs> I've seen too much. Yeah, right. But that's fantastic. And you were also a swimmer uh, in college. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. you were you on scholarship. Or I was. Yeah, paid for school. So very. University of Virginia. That's right. National champions. Thank there you, you go. Very much. Yeah. Awesome. What'd you swim? Uh, mile distance freestyle. So. Dude. First I, in the pool, last out. No way. Yeah. That's okay. I, I thought you were a sprinter. No. <laughs> the mile, that's like stamina. Yeah, yeah. I dreamed of sprinting. That was. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the water way too long, right? Way too long. So, have you ever uh, thought about carrying that into like uh, triathlons or anything like that? Oh, no. You know, a lot of my friends stayed in it. I was so grateful to be done. <laughs> to be out. You were done. I touched the wall and I literally said out loud, I will never do this again. <laughs> never. But that was some early hours, I bet. You were hitting the pool crack of dawn or earlier. So believe it or not, my mom set the alarm for 3.30. Wow. Get up, drive into New York City, practice, come back, go to school, um, drive back into New York City, practice, drive back, doing homework by flashlight in the car. It was, it was a wild ride. My, my parents were wonderful. Never could have done it without them. All right, so it, but yeah. you think that established within you a strong work ethic from an early age? It established insomnia, which still lingers to this very day. I still get up at 3.30, and that's a good night, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely, I mean, it just, and my mother, good German woman, just yeah. instilled that work ethic and that discipline in me, and swimming just emphasized that point. That's great, Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, um, 
fast forward a few years. Yep. You had a couple of opportunities, but then you, you were the co-founder of a food service group by the name of Food Buy. That's right. So how'd you come up with that idea? How did that all happen? So um, a friend of mine uh, was in the business of startup companies and he called me one day and said, hey, I've got this crazy idea for the food service industry. And interestingly enough, I had already been doing some of that for our customers. It was supply chain technology, okay. um, very fragmented industry. And the idea was to use technology, and this was during the whole internet boom and bubble, um, to use technology to coordinate data so that people could make more informed purchasing decisions. Um, and so more just to get him off my back than anything else, we flew out to California one day to raise capital, and by that night we had everything we needed to start the business. Wow. It was a, a wild ride. So the timing was just right. The idea was obviously beneficial to a lot of people, right? and it just took off from there. It did. You know, like anything else, when you're just starting, everyone tells you to come back when you've got some customers. So yeah. it's that kind of doom loop of come back when you have more customers and, you know, you can't get customers because of that. Right. But once they got visibility into the technology we're building, they just, you know, jumped in. They realized the value of it. And while the first six months were difficult, we had uh, three billion in purchasing volume within the first nine months. Wow. And then it just built from there. That's amazing. What yeah. a ride. It was incredible. We moved from office to office to office because we were growing so fast. And yeah. uh, it, was, it was great. A lot of fun, a lot of hard work. So Food Buy, you, you launched that. You got this vision. So you've you know, you got the entrepreneurial spirit. That's right. You have this uh, service that you're providing that's obviously deemed highly valuable. You grow that for a while, but then you catch the attention of a much larger group, Compass. Yes. And they decide they want to work together with you and, and bring you under their umbrella. Uh, how was that transition for you? So like anything else, when you're a small company going into a big company, that's an adjustment for you and your people, and it's your baby, you, you, know, you bet the farm on it, so yep. to speak, and yep. uh, that's a, a difficult transition, and it's tough for them to absorb small companies, but they're really skilled at that. It's their business model. And it was just, you know, like 30 days in, you knew it was gonna work and work beautifully, which it did, because they're a very entrepreneurial company. Um, they get that people come first. So all of the cultural values were there and it, it really was a match made um, and we're, we're grateful for it. So, so let's talk about that for a second, because I yeah. mean, Compass is a, it's a massive organization, yeah. over 600,000 employees yeah. globally. Sixth largest employer in the world. Sixth largest employer in the world. Food service, environmental services, That's right. a lot of brands that people would, would know. But there are, what, 20? How many brands under the Compass umbrella? Uh, just in North America, there are 28 different okay. businesses right. and more as you spread throughout the world. And so some of those food services are in sports venues, campuses, uh, corporate facilities, hospitals, senior living facilities. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on. Wolfgang Puck. That's right. And uh, Levy and, and Your Rest and, and other brands that people may not readily know, but it's a it's a vast organization. We have either fed you or cleaned up after you somewhere. <laughs> and, you may, and you didn't even know it, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but so you're t this is a, a behemoth of an organization, it but is. I've worked together with you and, and the group now for, for several years. And, and the one thing that really fascinates me about Compass is the culture. And it is truly a culture where people are first. Absolutely. And that's what you grew at Food Buy. 
So talk to me a little bit about the importance of culture and you know, you're making this transition, you're being absorbed into a larger organization. How did you, or what did you do, I guess, to ensure that that culture remained what you wanted it to be? Yeah, so one of the things that Compass is really good at is leaving the culture alone. They have a very unique model as an acquisitive company, which is we buy the company because we like what the brand is doing, what the management team is doing, what they're doing in their unique marketplace. Yeah. And so why would we change that? And yeah. so they just love on you more, they give you more capital, more support to grow. And uh, as a result, you're able to maintain your culture while taking advantage of all the size and scale of a much larger organization. And they're incredibly skilled. Everything back office is just nailed to a T. And you get to take advantage of all that so you can focus on your customer, which is best of all worlds. Okay, so yeah. break this down for me because I loved what you just said. Yeah. But when Compass acquires a group, they, they look to bring a group on board through acquisition. Um, because they like the culture. Yes. Not, not only are they productive, obviously they're making money and that's what attracts their attention, but it's the culture that they understand drives the business. And so they don't want to do anything that's going to damage that culture. Unlike so many other groups when they're in acquisition mode, you know, they, they want to absorb groups that are profitable, but then they change everything about them. Right. And then the whole purpose that they wanted to purchase them in the first place goes away, it evaporates because they don't let them continue to have the culture that made them successful. That's right. I mean, have you seen that mistake happen in oh, other? Our competitors do it. I've seen it in many other industries. They wipe out the management team, they wipe out the culture, they imprint their view of things right on the business and it invariably fails. You would think others would have figured it out by now, yeah. but Compass just has this wonderful model, wonderful culture, wonderful approach uh, to bringing in new companies. And most of the founders of those businesses are still here today. I'm one of them. Yeah. 20 years later, I just celebrated 20 years with Compass. Congratulations. Still, thank you. I'm still <laughs> here and loving it. Yeah. Um, but I sit on um, a group of officers where people have been there for 30, 35, 40 years. And these were entrepreneurs who started very successful businesses and decades later are still part of this organization. It's really, it's inspiring to be a part of. Well, just the longevity alone speaks highly to the culture. That's right. I mean, so that that's amazing to yeah. me. But talk to me, everybody defines culture in different ways. I've got my own definition of culture, but how, how would you define culture? Yeah, so. And what, uh, and what are the critical components? So I think uh, the, the culture is what happens when nobody's looking, right? The culture is the way people operate each and every day, the expectations that are set. Um, the environment that's created around people. Okay. And so I, I, I think it's, it's really what happens in the business just by its nature, right? It's, it's not something that has to be told or enforced or audited. It's just what is really what happens uh, behind the scenes, so to speak, and, and what are people feeling? And I think at the end of the day, a great culture is where people can bring all of themselves to the workplace, whatever mm -hmm. that looks like. They can bring their backgrounds, they can bring their expertise, they can bring their cultural diversity, um, whatever it is that they feel makes them a whole person, they can live that at work. They can live their purpose in the workplace. I love that. So yeah. I want to come back and talk about, yeah. I want to come back and talk about purpose and also want to come back and talk about diversity. Yes. Because that's a big part of huge. You know, the emphasis that you guys have, have um, made the company into what it is. I believe so. Um, 
and I know that you've been very highly lauded for that, and I want to come back around to it, but would you say that the brand of the organization is its reputation, but culture is its character? Yeah, I like that. It's the soul of who the organization is? A much more concise and better definition. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, when we're talking about culture, it's, it's how people play together in the sandbox of life. Right. So, so how do you help people understand that that's not something that starts at the top? I mean, although it should start at the top and cascade down, it should start at the bottom and grow itself up. It should be sideways and every, but how do you help people understand that they are a part of helping to build the culture? Culture doesn't just happen. Everybody's a part of creating that culture. That's right. So I have the opportunity to meet every new manager or supervisor who comes into our business. Um, and a business our size, that's thousands of people a year yeah. um, that we interact with. And you've been a part of those new manager orientations. I have. And been a big part of building our culture. And one of the things I say to them is you are now the new stewards of our culture. Mm. And we talk for the better part of two hours about what our culture is. You know, this is who we are. This is how we do it here. This is the soul that we bring. This is the character that we bring um, each and every day. This is our brand promise. This is who we say we are. Um, and then what I encourage them to do um, is to add on to that culture, to bring themselves into that culture mm. and make it fresher, newer, you know, more, more alive. So, so get back to this idea of purpose. Yeah. How, how do you help people, number one, discover their purpose? and then be able to practically apply that purpose in the marketplace? So I think there are two purposes. There's the purpose of the organization. Mm -hmm. what, what is it that we're there to do? So for example, in one of our businesses, our brand promise and our purpose is to provide compassion at every point of human contact. Um, so that's the, the corporate purpose. And then we demonstrate behaviors and we storytell around that. But then what we do again is we encourage people to live their own individual purpose while they're mm -hmm. in the workplace. For some people that's caring for the sick and elderly at the yeah. most vulnerable points in their lives. For other people that's being socially responsible in the community. And we have people who have developed compost programs because that's, that's what they view as, as being socially responsible. We have people who participate in medical missions both in their community and outside of their community. And we just love to storytell around That's that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And I think the more you tell how other people are living their purpose, it both inspires and allows people to go live their purpose. So you're just encouraging them to impact other people's lives in a positive way. That's right. Essentially, it's what you're doing. And yes. then you're telling that story over and over again, and that's helping to create your culture. But you create an environment that inspires people to bring their best to work. That's every right. day because they truly believe they're not just making money, but they're making a difference in the lives of other people. You bet. Which is vastly impactful. Um, and we'll actually talk, you know, my two hour speech, I never talk about generating results, right? I mean, it's all about culture and purpose yeah. and people bringing themselves to work and being passionate and energetic and creative and innovative. Uh, I think if you do all those things, the results follow. See, this is fine. This is because this is really interesting. Because I've said for a long time that that the the, the metrics on, are the lagging indicator. Yes. Of whether or not you're doing things right up front. That's right. That that as leaders, we shouldn't be buried in the spreadsheets and and worried so much about the performance plans and productivity that that will come if we get the culture right and we inspire people and the best way we can do that is to attach personal passion of each individual to the corporate objectives. 
So if they can see how they can live out their personal purpose with passion and somehow it's tied to the bottom line of the organization, yes. I mean, that's a win-win because now you're moving the organization forward, you're advancing the organizational purpose, but people tie their personal purpose to that and they find great fulfillment in doing that. I mean, if you can get somebody on fire because they're not showing up to a job, they're showing up to live out what's in their soul. Right. You got someone who's going to serve like you can't believe. And so when they serve, results follow. There you go. Yeah. Well, Victor Frankl, um, Austrian. One of my favorites. See, there you go. Yeah. So, I mean, classic, man's search for meaning. That's right. Uh, one of and, my favorite books of all time. That's it. Yeah. That's right. And, and so I think what he talks about is you have to have something to live for, someone to love, or, or a principle that codifies your 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 you know approach to life, and, and then meaningful work, and then lastly purpose. But that idea of meaningful work is powerful. It is because he says over and over again, as you know, that meaningless work is crippling for the soul. Mm. And so when people can't find meaning in their work, then it's a struggle. And, and making a living is a drudgery. But if they can find meaning in their work and they tie their purpose to it, which as he talks about is transcendent, it goes beyond ourselves. Yes. Because we're impacting other people's lives, not just doing something that's good for us. Then it gets pretty exciting because you don't have to light a fire underneath people because there's a fire lit within them. That's right. And there's a big difference. That's right. And I think a lot of times leaders are trying to light a fire within people or under, excuse me, underneath people rather than fanning the flame within. Yes. And there's this totally different approach. And that's one of the things I love about you because as I watch you move in your world, you're, you're constantly trying to ascertain, okay, what's driving this person? What's the motivational force? And then how can I free that? And I just watched you do that over and over again. And well, it's, it's fun to watch it from a distance. It's fun to be a part of it, yeah. I mean, we have so many people that are so inspiring in our business and they light a fire within me. So yeah. um, that's, it's a mutual thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so we, we talked about food buy. We talked about culture being taken into a larger organization. Talk to me for just a second about this whole idea of, of diversity and inclusion. Uh, you've recently been acknowledged for some work that you've done in that area. Talk to me a little bit about that. So we have. Um, I, I'm just incredibly blessed to have a very diverse workforce. And as a result of that, I get a chance to learn every time I'm out in the business from people who have different life experience, different cultural experience, a different way of looking at the business. Um, and it is so much fun to be a part of that that you just want to build more of that. Mm. And as a result, we've been able to really create uh, diversity within our, our culture and within our organization. But more importantly is we've moved from diversity to inclusion. And we're still on that journey. We still have a way to go. Um, but when people feel included, because you can be diverse but not inclusive, mm -hmm. when people feel included and that they can bring who they are into the workplace, that is, again, that helps people to shine, helps people to feel included, and when they feel included, they have a tendency to contribute differently, and uh, it's just been a huge part of our success. So how does that play into the ideas of authenticity and transparency? For, for people to feel like they can be included, they have to feel safe in bringing the best of who they are That's right. to the table, uh, and it's okay to be different. It's okay to think differently. I can, I can push the outer edges of the envelope. It's an organization where it's okay to try something and fail. 
Yes. I mean, how does that all factor into it? Yeah, so try something and fail. Uh, everyone jokes because I have four caveats in the business. Everything we do has to be legal, ethical, moral, and safe. Okay. And as long <laughs> legal, <laughs> ethical, moral, moral and, and safe. safe. Okay. As long as it's those four things, try it. Try it. Do it and fail fast if you need to, and just move on and do something different. Bring it. Bring it to us. Uh -huh. But kind of back to your original point. Uh, I, I think if I have to show up to work and pretend to be somebody I'm not. I'm not bringing my best. Right. And if I have to do that both at work and also culturally, I'm kind of in double jeopardy there, right? I, I can't bring who I am. It's when we are who we are and on fire and fully ourselves that we're able to make the biggest contribution. And so. So, how can an organization create a safe environment? Because I know there are a lot of people when they go to work, they duck and cover. Right. They're, they're afraid to be themselves because they're, you know, maybe punitive measures if I, if I fail or it's not okay for me to be who I am or express myself. But how does an organization create a safe environment? Yeah, so I, I think we're always on that journey. I, I wouldn't say that we're perfect by this by any means, but I think one of the ways we do that is to celebrate failure. Okay. Um, and to and when you say celebrate failure, stop, stop and pause because that's a big one. <laughs> right. It's easy to throw out there, but what does that mean? I think as long as it's failure based on a sincere effort to contribute, uh, based on a sincere effort to break the status quo, okay. those are the kinds of failures you celebrate, right? Okay. Um, and so I think, again, you storytell around that. Um, we, we actually sometimes will give awards around that. Really? Okay. Uh, for the person who failed the fastest yeah. or, you know, the, and the most. Realizes the failure and then makes it right? And then makes it right. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think you just have to acknowledge it because until people see that, they're going to assume that they're going to be penalized right. for that, not rewarded for that. Right. And again, you have to make sure it's, it's the right kind of failure, that it's not not trying, right, not being competent or excellent at what you do, those kinds of things, but it's the sincere effort to go out and, and find a different way of doing business. Got it. Yeah. That's good. Legal, ethical, moral, and safe. I got to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me shift gears on you yeah. just a little bit here. Um, diversity and inclusion. Yes. Big part of growing a healthy culture. That's right. You want to get a lot of different thoughts, ideas, feedback from different people and different perspectives. Otherwise, you're going to be pretty limited in terms of the scope. And innovation is the result of great minds coming together, throwing out some bizarre ideas, but then it's sparking and being catalytic to get to some of your best ideas. Yes. Um, but as you're talking about looking and growing an organization, you got to always be looking for the next level leaders. Yes. So when you're talking about succession planning, when you're talking about trying to figure out who's gonna be my next team leads, what kind of qualities and characteristics are you looking for? Yeah, great question. And let me even take a step back further and just talk about succession planning. Yeah. Um, I think all of us think we do succession planning, but I don't think we really do it. Okay. I, I think some organizations don't take that seriously at all. Our organization does. Um, but if I'm honest about myself and, and others that I've seen, we tend to, you know, put names in the boxes right. um, once a year because we're required to. Right. Um, Part of the performance review, right? We, we never think about it again right. thereafter. Um, we may have an idea about who's being successful and who who needs some further development, and we certainly will kind of tactically approach that. But when you're really thinking strategically about your business, I'm not sure we all do a great job there. Yeah. And the way I got there actually was through a tragedy. Um, our global CEO was lost in a plane crash. 
um, which we're still getting over a couple of years later. He was just an incredible leader, an incredible man, and just a tragic accident um, that just set our organization back on our heels. But he had taken succession planning very seriously, had already named his successor, um, and that person was able to step in. About six months after that, our uh, global VP of HR came into the States and challenged us to say, you know, given this tragedy and given, you know, all the emotional upheaval that happened with it, the business was able to continue because we had a succession plan in place. Um, and his question to us, which really convicted me, was, you know, if you got hit by the proverbial bus or mm -hmm. if you won the lottery tomorrow, would your organization thrive the next day? And I couldn't honestly answer that question, yes. I have a team of incredible leaders, but I hadn't done the work required to set them all up for success um, in the event that something happened to me kind of instantaneously. And uh, spent the last couple of years really focused on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would just encourage everybody who's listening today, make that a strategic part of who you are as a leader strategic part of your organization and don't just fill in the box if that's, that's good. something that you've, you've done. That's really yeah, good. No, that's great, great words of encouragement and challenge for leaders yes. to constantly be thinking about, okay, what's going to happen around the next turn? What's the next chapter going to look like? And who's going to be in charge? That's right. Yeah. So, so who do you entrust those responsibilities to when you're thinking about succession planning, when you're right. thinking about next-gen leadership? Are there, are there certain things you're looking for? Yeah, so I'll start with the most obvious at first, and that's an intense results orientation. Whether we're in a nonprofit organization or a for-profit organization, we are all hired in to do something. Right? To get there's, something done. There's some result that somebody's looking for us. Some, right. some of that might be socially minded, some of that might be profit minded, but we're all tasked with results. And we need to deliver year after year after year. If I'm good sometimes, but not good other times, people will not know which person to trust them, mm -hmm. right? Consistency, so sure. We have to deliver consistently, um, year after year, and really even within the year, period after period, so that you can kind of get a sense for how the year is taking shape. Um, so that, that intense result orientation, that ability to deliver has got to be a given. It's a ticket to entry. Right. In 36 years of having P&L responsibility, I've had one business miss one year, and it still eats at me. Do uh, what? <laughs> whoa, 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 wait. Say that again. It you, still eats at me. One business, business miss one year. Miss one year. Yeah, and it kills me to this day. Um, That's that a pretty happens. remarkable track record. <laughs> yeah. I don't know many organizations that can say that. Yeah. So that, but, but but the fact that it bothers you is obviously reflective of your high intensity on results orientation. Yeah. I'm also a 10 out of 10 competitively. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> National championship swim team? Yeah, I would, yeah, you got some background there. But, so that's the first thing, results orientation. Yeah. What else? So I think then the, given that you have that, and again, that's the ticket to entry. Um, okay. And I think we've all had leaders who could drive results, but they couldn't create a culture of mm -hmm. success. Mm -hmm. They couldn't create a culture of growth and where people thrive. Right. And we've all had people who were just wonderful people, but they couldn't deliver results. So you're looking for those rare people who have both the ability to deliver and do what they have to do to deliver, right. um, but then also ones that can create a culture that allows you to get the right person into the right job. And those are two big ifs, right? Because you could have right person, wrong job, wrong person, any job. Um, and then create a culture around them that is one of love, respect, encouragement, trust, dignity, 
um, and then the, you inspire them to do more than they ever thought was possible. And that's a rare leader who can mm -hmm. do all of that. That's true. Yeah. So results and relationships, the combination between the two. Yes. It's powerful. I think there's a book like that out there. I think somewhere. there is. I was getting ready. <laughs> he stole it right away from me there. I was getting ready to have a plug for the book. Um, can we turn to personal stuff? Yeah, sure. All right. So um, one of the reasons I love and admire you so much is, is your authenticity, your transparency, your humility. And, and your life hasn't always been easy. We've been talking about business success, you know, co-founder of Food Buy, your CEO, uh, part of a, a global organization, sixth largest employer on the planet. If I were to look at you walking down the street and I heard your story, I would think, oh, Scott's got it all together. Scott's never had any challenges. You know, Scott's just up there. <laughs> and you are in many respects. But what I know to be true, because we're friends, is that there's a lot of pain beneath the surface. You've been presented with some very unusual life challenges, and, and one of those comes in something very, very dear to your heart. It's your youngest daughter, Amanda. That's right. That's right. You've got two daughters, Amanda and Sarah. Yeah. Beautiful wife, Deborah. Yes. Um, but Amanda's story is pretty gripping. Um, share a little bit of that. Yeah. So Amanda was born with a very rare illness, a very rare form of cancer. Um, and we found that out on day one when she spiked 105 fever and so we were in the ER by day two. Um, she went on to survive cancer three times by the age of seven. Mm. Um, she had a liver transplant at four, another one at the age of 17 and has had over 150 surgeries in her lifetime. During her second liver transplant at the age of 17, um, she had been on pain meds heavily for the two years leading up to the transplant and the year leading after the transplant. And this is before the opioid crisis was known. Right. Um, and I kept telling the doctors, you know, she's an addict um, at this point. And basically they, because again, it, this wasn't known, you know, no fault of their own. Right. It, you know, she'll be fine. Uh, and she wasn't. And so she's spent the last 15 years uh, struggling with addiction and alcoholism. And that, I mean, 150 surgeries, Scott. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know how you even keep up with that, much yeah. less keep up with life and business. And so all this is going on with Amanda. You're literally living at the hospital. You and Deborah were there nonstop almost through her entire childhood and, and teenage years because it was just this revolving door of circumstances where you had to be back in the hospital over and over and over and over again. How do you... How do you even begin to maintain your personal sanity, much less build a business in the midst of all that? Yeah, I don't know that I did, um, but it, it was tough, and I'm, I'm blessed to have just a wonderful wife in Deborah. She's just an incredible wife, an incredible mother, an incredible champion uh, for her children. And she spent hours and days and weeks and months um, sitting at Amanda's bedside, kind of nursing her back to health. but. I travel for a living, so I would you know, travel from Monday to Friday. I'd get home, I'd land at the airport, I wouldn't go home. I would drive to the hospital, I'd relieve Deborah, who would go home to be with Sarah. Um, I'd spend the weekend at the hospital, Deborah would come back on Sunday, I would drive home, do laundry, and then hit the road again on Monday. So you just, month after month, year after year, um, decade after decade doing that. Um, it's, been, uh, it's been an interesting family dynamic. Yeah, and, the, and the, the challenge still remains. I mean, the story has yet to be fully written because Amanda still is kind of still dealing in with recurring crisis. Uh, a lot of that issue. Yeah. yeah. 
but we do have a major milestone tomorrow. Um, I will tell you that as a father watching your child go through this, um, not only is it incredibly painful, but you start to think that you know she's not going to make it. She's had three times in her life where she was given less than three days to live. Um, and there were times when she actually stopped breathing and was heading in that direction and we'd pull her back. And mm. so you're just constantly living in crisis. And one of the ways you get through that is you begin to envision better days. And I would envision a lot of things, her graduating from high school, her graduating from college, having children, uh, turning 30, which mm. at age two, turning 30 seemed like light years mm. away. Yeah, but now it's here. She turns 30 in 12 hours. Wow. In 12 hours she turns 30. So this is a very special moment in my life wow. uh, right now. Yeah. She's made it to 30. She's made it to 30. And yeah. now looking forward to the next 30. But, but I think that's so important because, I mean, what you're talking about for you is hope. Absolutely. You, you kept envisioning a future that was hopeful. That's because right. if you lose hope, then you have no place to go. Yeah. And so it's, it's you having hope for her when she can't have hope for herself. It's you praying that she gets hope to sustain herself and make better choices. That's right. But without hope, I, you know, we say hope's not a strategy. Hope is the best strategy. That's right. Because it's the only thing that gets us through. That's right. And that's what's gotten you through. Also, and I could recount a number of miracles along the way, but because of all the chemotherapy that she had, she wasn't supposed to be able to get pregnant. Mm. Um, and she also, because of all the surgeries that she's had, she's literally held together with wire, um, could never survive a pregnancy, but she has uh, a six-year-old son who's just the light of our life. And Caden. Uh, yeah, Caden, exactly. <laughs> so miracle after miracle yeah. after miracle, and that helps create hope. And, and even as Amanda struggles with her current situation, you've sort of assumed, you and Deborah have assumed, major, major role in Caden's life and, and uh, having the chance to see him very up close uh, yeah. and personal as grandparents to watch him grow and be uh, there during those formative years. And by the way, man, what an incredible golf swing. Oh. Six <laughs> years old and he's swinging the clubs like that. Are he's you kidding amazing. me? Yeah, we go out and play a few holes every no, Okay, so we're, yeah. we're talking in Chicago. You got to tell this story again. So so you go out and play golf with Caden. Yeah. And he, he wants to make it harder That's to right. play. I keep trying to set him up for success. Right, right. So I, you know, I, I don't let him go in the traps. I, I put him right in the dead center of the fairway up close. And finally he goes, Papa, this is just too easy. <laughs> and he starts taking the ball way back, hitting over sand traps. When he gets in a sand trap, it's too easy for him to hit out. So he literally takes his foot and stomps the ball down no into the sand. <laughs> And then so the opposite of what I do. <laughs> I use the foot wedge to get in a better position. Yeah. He uses his foot stomping down. That's he's crazy. He's got such a great spirit about him. I and love he's it. such an emotionally intelligent, wonderful young man. He's uh, yeah. he's a light of my life. Sounds an awful lot like somebody <laughs> else who used to get up really, really early and go swim. That, yeah. It's amazing how life just kind of comes full circle. It does. Amanda's still on her journey. We're yep. praying for her. Thank and you. you know, always have hope for what the future holds. But what would you say... What would you say to, to, to parents? What would you say to just business leaders who may be struggling at home? How can they, how can they maintain that sense of hope, right. still do what they need to do, uh, which is obviously provide results in the midst of personal crisis? How do you encourage people to do that? 
Yeah, so first and foremost, you've, you've got to focus on the family, right? You've got to make sure that your marriage is where it needs to be, that your, your other children are set up for success um, while, you know, the other sibling is going through um, what they're doing. And that's not easy, and we failed at it in so many different ways. Um, but you learn through failure. We talked about failure. that. It's okay to celebrate failure. That's right. You just pick yourself up, you move on, try to do better next time. That's all you can do. Um, I, again, I would set goals for myself. I would envision things. But, you know, when you're in the midst of a crisis, all you can see is the crisis. Um, and there's a tendency to make the crisis even bigger than it is because mm. you're so focused on the bad that is happening. Right. And that's natural, right? I mean, you're watching your child go through trauma. You're naturally going to be drawn deep into that. But there have to be moments when you see that hope is bigger than the tragedy that you're in. Wow. And that life... Say that again. So you have to see your... see the situation and realize that hope is greater than the tragedy or the circumstances that you're That's in. That's absolutely right. Okay. You, you have to, we, we tend to at times admire our problems, mm. right? And it's natural, especially when you're in a life and death situation, to, to think that nothing could be worse than this. Yeah, we get overwhelmed ways, by it. In many right? ways, that's right. Yeah. But you can get sucked into that so that it's all that you see and that it's bigger than who you are. And if you're a person of faith, you almost at times think that the problem's bigger than who your God is. Yeah. Um, and you have to see hope and faith as bigger than that. And lean back into that transcendent part. That's right. To be able to see the bigger picture. Absolutely. And, and realize that you're going to get through this. Yes. You'll survive. That, that, that things may not work out the way you thought or expect them to, but it'll be a growth opportunity. Life never works out the way you expect it to. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> it never does. Isn't that true? But, yeah. but as a result of all these challenges, though, you, you've written a couple of books, Amanda's Gift, which is kind of a handbook to help parents get through a crisis like this with their kids. And may I, may I talk about An sure. Acre of Fools? And that, I mean, that came out as a result of your personal life experience in this realm of dealing with a child who struggles with addiction. That's right. Uh, you wrote it under a pseudonym, um, but uh, a pen name, but um, An Acre of Fools is a, is a magnificent book which talks about the challenges of any father who has a heart for his child who goes through that sort of a struggle. That's uh, right. It's got to be therapeutic for you to be able to throw good content out there and, and sort of, it's cathartic, It right? is cathartic, yeah. And you've written a couple other books as well. I have. Um, Putting God to Work is an, is an awesome book that I know you had fun um, is putting out to encourage people to just realize that there is a greater purpose in life. That's right. Beyond themselves, beyond making a profit. It's about people. It's about a bigger perspective on life. And then yeah, your latest book, which should be released sometime very, very soon. Sometime probably by Christmas. Okay, by Christmas. Yeah. Uh, Am I? And That's I right. love it. What a great oh, title. And gosh, we can unpack that. You have to come back and we'll We'll spend some time digging into that. We will. And uh, exploring all the messages of that. But So here, I guess, is my question for you. What would, the, what would the Scott today say to the 28-year-old Scott, fresh in the marketplace, just starting his career, bright-eyed, got all the talent in the world? What would you tell him? as you look back over your life and career to, to provide encouragement, to provide hope, but also be very you know, uh, instructive and, and, and challenging, what would you say? 
Well, after I slapped myself upside the head for being <laughs> such an idiot. <laughs> I mean, we probably all do that, right? <laughs> what I would probably say is just relax. Um, again, being such a competitive person and with, you know, being in business, you tend to get so focused on what's happening in the moment. And what I think I've learned more than anything else is that life is a long game kind mm -hmm. of endeavor. Um, nothing that's either really good or really bad is as good or as bad as you think it is. Um, and certainly there are pivotal moments in our lives when we have to stand up and make important decisions and do big things, mm -hmm. but that tends to be a handful. Okay. Right? Um, the rest is it's a thousand small decisions every day that you make and just allow life to unfold um, and, and go for it, go big, um, but allow life to unfold and don't put so much pressure on yourself to make it perfect in the moment. Okay, so I'm bringing you full circle here because yeah. if someone was a fly on the wall listening to this conversation, I want you to tie it together for me because we talked about a big issue for you when you're looking for next generation leaders is being results oriented. That's you know, right. You want to see somebody who's productive and can make it happen. But now you're saying one of the greatest lessons you would have told yourself is to relax. So talk me through that. Are you saying that you need to make sure that the process is in place? And if the process is in place, all the things we talked about, you know, perspective, purpose, passion, that if that's in place, then the productivity will take care of itself. How do you tie being results-oriented with relaxing. Well, just to use a sports analogy, right? You often hear people who are at their best in sports as they're in the zone, mm. right? And yep. so when you're in the zone, you're doing what comes naturally. That's right. If you're sitting on the sidelines and you're panicked about what's gonna happen when you go in, you're not going to be at your best. Okay. So when you go in with a sense of confidence, not arrogance, but confidence that you've done the hard work, you've prepared, you have the right plan, you have the right skills, um, you go in and you hear differently, in my opinion, and okay. you see differently. Okay. Um, and so some of the biggest results I've gotten were not when I was working at a frenzied pace. It's when I was observant and when I was listening more than talking and I was trying to understand what was important in the conversation versus planning my next thought, my next word, my next sentence. Um, and being calculating, I was allowing myself to come into relationship mm -hmm. um, with my clients and with my people and I was able to hear and see things that I might have overlooked in my younger days. When you're relaxed, don't you think that relationships are enhanced? Because if you're not relaxed, if you're driving, driving, driving for results, you can easily slip into manipulating people and pushing too hard. That's right. You don't create that kind of culture that really inspires people, but they are afraid, and that, that's not that safe environment we talked about earlier. Right, yes, and, and I think, again, it's, it's sitting back understanding what's important to people. And at the end of the day, that's what business is all about. Mm. It's understanding what's important to people and then meeting those needs and exceeding those needs. I can't understand what's important to you if all I'm thinking about is making the sale. Because all I'm thinking about is what's important to me. Interesting. If I understand who you are, what your needs are, how what I have matches up to that, um, I can create a fit that's mm -hmm. going to be very different from the person who's coming in and selling 100% of the time. Well, and if we've got a relationship and I really want what's best for you, and I begin to explore through that conversation, you, you may need something we can't provide. And it's okay for me to either direct you to somebody else or partner together with someone else to bring something of value to the table for you because that's going to enhance the relationship even if we don't get the account. And sometimes it doesn't feel right in the moment when you walk away or you lose a piece of business because of that. 
but we've all gotten into relationships that were set on expectations that were mm -hmm. not in sync, not mm -hmm. aligned, and it ends up burning up so much time of your mental energy and literally your time uh, because you're trying to fix a problem um, versus meet a need that you know how to meet. Um, it feels right in the moment, but then it, you spend years That's good. Uh, trying That's really to unravel good. that relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of relationships, who, yeah. who are some of the leaders that you admire most and why? Uh, well, sitting across the table from one. No, uh, please. And you've done an amazing job in our business. Well, I can't thank that. you enough for how you've contributed to our culture and our business success. Yeah. Um, we, we talk about the things that you're bringing to us all the time, and I'm so grateful for that. Well, thank you. Um, I'm fortunate to belong to a group called the CEO Forum, um, and that's a group of faith-based CEOs uh, around the country, and we get together on a very regular basis. So I have the opportunity to sit at the feet of some of the most amazing leaders in the country running multi-billion dollar organizations, so I get the chance to learn from that. Um, we also have a group of Atlanta-based CEOs um, that I'm able to get together with. You mentioned one of them, Cheryl Bashelder. Right former CEO of Popeyes, now on the board of Chick-fil-A, U.S. Foods, and Pier 1 Imports. Right. Um, Cheryl, her book, Dare to Serve, is just a student of servant Great leadership. Great insights. And the definition of a servant leader. She's just an amazing woman, an amazing leader, and I have the chance to learn from Cheryl all the time. Uh, Horst Schultze, the mm -hmm. founder of Ritz-Carlton, who yep. you may um, have a chance to have a, have a dialogue with. Hope so. Gosh, one of the most energetic and passionate people I've ever met. He runs circles around me. <laughs> I, I walk away from every conversation with him sweating. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and somebody who truly understands, I mean, high, high, high quality of customer service. That's right. A luxury experience. Written a book called Excellence Wins. Mm -hmm. I would highly recommend it. It's all of his wisdom in one place. Um, I'm on about my third reading of it. Just incredible. It is. Uh, Chris Carneal is a young, energetic founder of a business that's doing amazing things. Yeah, yep. and um, he is maybe one of the most high-energy, optimistic people I've ever when met. When I need my batteries charged, I just hang out with Chris Absolutely. for a little <laughs> <laughs> Again, I walk away from every conversation sweating and needing a Yeah, yeah that's right. I mean? And it just, I wish I could have half of his energy. And then Joel Manby, um, he was the CEO of Hershend Family Entertainment here in Atlanta. Right. Later went on to be the CEO of SeaWorld. Um, just an incredible guy. Wrote a book called Love Works. Mm. And you talk about culture. He just captured what that Hershend culture was all about. And he's also just one of the most um, you know, top-notch executives you'd ever want to meet. His intellect, yeah. his executive presence, you can learn so much from it. Okay, so when I asked the question, I was expecting one or two names and you've now mentioned a, oh, a ton I could, I could and you could probably going. keep going <laughs> but but that's kind of my whole point in asking the question because your life is rich because of relationships absolutely yeah. and your leadership is rich because of relationships it is and and I would dare say that you know the quality of people that you hang out with that help sharpen you and you help sharpen them is really what's brought you to this place of leadership that you have today. So for leaders out there who may feel disconnected, who may not have healthy relationships, what, what words of advice or encouragement would you provide for them? Yeah, you've got to put yourself out there. So I am an introvert off the charts. I'm, Which I've people who, I mean, even people who might watch this or listen to this, they'd never believe that. I mean, <laughs> seriously, because when I watch you with your people, 
you so deeply connect and everyone who stands in front of you, you give them your full and undivided attention, but I know you well. And you go back to your room, you can just crash. <laughs> you know, we go out after, you're drained, you're exhausted because you are a true introvert. Yeah. Top 1% of introverts in the world, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but, you, but you know the value of relationships. It is. Um, and I will tell you whether it's connecting with people outside your organization so that you can learn from them. And, yeah. I, you know, we talked about Chris, for example, or Horst. These are people who are so outgoing. And when you watch the impact they have, you can't help but want to be more like that. Yeah. I also have literally thousands of people in my business who are some of the most humble yet inspiring, purpose-driven people you'd ever want to meet. People on my direct team, people on the front lines. And every time I go out, I just it's like looking into a mirror in terms of what can I learn from these people, right? What, how can I be a better leader by emulating what they do? What you just said is so powerful. When you go out and you hang out with your people, you're constantly looking and asking yourself the question, what can I learn from my people? Absolutely. How can I serve them better? Well, what barriers can I remove to make sure that they're able to connect their passion to corporate objectives? So it's not a matter of thinking about what can I get out of my people? You truly move into your sphere asking the question, what can I do for my people? That's right. And, and that's why uh, you're just right up there at the top of my list of great leaders. Well, thank you. I've learned from so many great leaders yeah. who have done that. My boss is that kind of person. So I have the, just the fortunate opportunity over a career to have been around mm -hmm. such amazing, purpose-driven, people-centered leaders um, that it's helped just create that in me, uh, just through watching and learning. That's great. Yeah. So here's a the, here's the big catch-all question. Okay. What have we not talked about that you want to talk about? Is there any last bit of wisdom or anything you'd like to impart to, to young leaders? I, I think it would be uh, just a, an, an understanding of just what are you good at and how do you move into that space. Hmm. Um, and then build people around you who have all the skills that you don't. Uh, I, I'm, the only reason I'm successful is I have a team of amazing leaders who can do things that I could never dream of doing. Um, and then just know when is the right time for you to step in. When's the right time for you to step out? When's the right time to act? When's the right time not to act? Sometimes the bravest thing you can do is not act mm. when everyone's looking for you to do something mm. um, because it's just not the right time. So mm -hmm. bring your skills to the table, bring your timing to the table. And at the end of the day, and we've talked about this already, if you're serving other people, um, and you're serving them well, ultimately they're gonna do things that you could never do on your own, which is truly the case that, that I've been in for the vast majority of my career. Yeah, but it takes a strong, confident leader to be able to back away and empower their people. Again, it's just fanning that flame within. That's right. And not feeling like you have to light a fire underneath them. That's right. And I've just watched you do that and do it remarkably well. Well, so. I've been, been blessed to have a team that's allowed me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, appreciate the insights. Thank you. Um, appreciate the friendship. This has been fun, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for yeah. hanging out this afternoon. So you got another hour? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's go get dinner. <laughs> it sounds good. All right, let's do that. Thanks, Randy. All right, appreciate, appreciate you, man. All right.